Welcome to the Football Game Plan Network, where football makes sense. I'm your host, Chris James, otherwise known as CJ, and this is this week's Football Replay with CJ, episode four. Uh, folks, if you're not familiar with the show, this is a show where I go over everything that's happened in the past week of football, in the college ranks and professional ranks, give my opinion, talk about different topics. There's no direct thing that I'm going over. It's not like it's just a college show or a draft show or any of the shows I've done in the past. This is just me talking about topics that I find to be interesting in the state of football. And this week's show, it is going to be done on October 20th is when I'm doing the show. The initial uh, podcast was supposed to be recorded on the 18th, but unfortunately I could not. Uh, so we're going to do it on the 20th. And remember, if you want to hit me up on Twitter with any questions, comments, anything like that, follow me on there. It's at CJ Florida nine uh, at CJ, the state of Florida and the number nine. So we're going to do a few things this week. Uh, generally, I give uh, my rankings and just kind of go over things. And I will start with the college rankings this time. And I'm going to upset some people out there. But at the end of the day, that's not my concern. At the end of the day, my whole situation is to judge what I've seen. And I can't really judge teams that I haven't seen or haven't seen enough of. And then make a determination on whether I think these teams can beat other teams that they might face. So remember that call-in number if you'd like to call uh, call-in number. Look at me. I'm so used to doing other shows where I'm used to having a call-in number and people can kind of conversate with me. But unfortunately, that doesn't exist on this podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to start the show and do my top 10 from the FBS. Now, I've been doing this every week. And I'll just give you a quick rundown. These are not exactly the teams that I think will make it through to the end of the season ranked where they are. This is, simply put, if I were ranking these teams based off of and putting these teams into the playoffs based off of what I've seen so far this season, this is where I would have them. And I'm not one of those people who is afraid to say, I might have gotten something wrong. It happens, and it's okay. So, in the case of this top 10 right now, I'm going to start with number one because we already know who number one is. And that's Alabama. What Alabama did to Tennessee last week was criminal. Knocking Tennessee completely out of my top 10, even though they just made it in. Now, Tennessee had lots of injuries, but more intestinal fortitude shown by them this season than any other team. And early on, it looked like a contest. I was like, okay, we, we, we got something going here. And then Alabama said, oh, watch this, and put the beat down on them. Jalen Hurts put the beat down on them. At one point, I think it was 14-10 in this game, and then they said, nah, 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 we're, we're a good player. We're just going to go ahead and put this on you. And it was 49-10 before you knew it. Alabama is a very interesting team, and I think that they match up against any team in the country, any style. Remember, Nick Saban's teams used to have extreme trouble with spread quarterbacks, guys who can run and throw because it makes it more 11 on 11. Uh, It gives them the opportunity to have to keep an extra defender in there and leaves a hole or a gap in their scheme. That's not the case anymore. They're very used to seeing it, and Nick Saban, being the great coach he is, has made adjustments to make that uh, happen. 
My number two team, a little surprising after their performance this past week. Sorry, folks. I got something wrong. It happens. I'm, I, I expected more out of JT Barrett and company on offense, and I didn't get it. And that's the Ohio State Buckeyes. They're 6-0. and uh, They didn't move down or up or anything. They stayed at number two. Uh, I look at the environment, and I look at what a team did. And early on, they got smacked in the mouth by a Wisconsin team that I, though I didn't underrate, I underestimated, thinking that Wisconsin in the moment would be a little too big for them and that Ohio State would come out and prove what they are. Wisconsin came out to play, but Ohio State showed that they were the second best team in the country by making that comeback in a tough environment against a quality opponent. That, to me, does not move you down. It makes you stay or move up. It's just unfortunate that they can't move up because Bama's just that dominant right now. The number three team is the Michigan Wolverines at 6-0. and uh, They move up one spot just from sitting there. They didn't do anything, but looking at what they've done as a body of work, they sit there. And why did they move up? They moved up from a team that will be talked about in a few seconds, but not yet. Because the number four team is the Washington Huskies at 6-0. and Listen. Washington Huskies just have done their job, and they've done it well. They've put up points, but they're not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the number five team. I want to talk about the team that, in all honesty, has played one and a half good games this entire year. I want to talk about the team that is experiencing, and the Carolinas apparently, if you lost in a, in a championship game last year in football, National Championship or Super Bowl, and you're from the Carolinas, you apparently forgot how to play football in some respect. Now, Clemson's talent is beating out other teams or their good fortune. That poor 12-year-old kid who was the kicker for NC State missing a field goal at the end of the game. But you can't, and you should not, have a situation where you come out to start the second half up seven and throw a pick six. You get down to the the 10-yard line, and Mike Williams trying to do too much, fumbles the ball. You can't get in the end zone like you should. And then you literally do nothing to try to score late in the game. You just play safe, and NC State's like, no, you're a good player. We'll put this pressure on you. They just didn't make the kick. Clemson's still at number five for one sole purpose. Clemson, outside of maybe... Definitely Alabama, but maybe Ohio State is the least, the team that I want to play the least, but they haven't played well enough to deserve to be above Michigan or Washington. So they would be outside looking in if the final four were to start for me because they're not in it. They'd be looking at the playoff and playing a New Year's Six Day Bowl, but Clemson just hasn't done enough. That win against Louisville showed what they can do when they're amped up, but it just seems that they're disinterested against some of these teams that they're playing. Number six, the Louisville Cardinals. Now, I left them here because I know what they can do. But here's the situation. What happened against Duke hopefully represents a trap game to them. and hopefully represents a smack in the face. They need to get back on track, and hopefully they don't have the hangover that seems to be looming over them after the Clemson loss. They are on the hot seat as they've moved down one spot. Clemson moved down two spots on the hot seat right now because they're in danger of losing one of these games. And an NC State type team could beat them my number seven team probably won't be number seven for long they're either going to be number one after this week or out of the top 10 and that is the texas a&m aggies 
at 6-0. and They didn't move. And the reason I say that isn't because I think they're a bad team or because I think they're a great team. I just think the bad thing that's going to happen in this game is they're either going to win a close one against Alabama or get blown off the shelf. Already 19-point underdogs. Started at 17 or opened at 17, moved to 19. It just seems that they don't have the requisite pieces to make things stick. And I'll talk about this particular matchup more in my 5 five and 5 uh, podcast that should be happening tomorrow um, where I discuss the five biggest games that week in college football and give a an overview and an analysis of it as well as a prediction. But Texas A&M has done the job so far. This is the first time while they've been under Sumlin that they've had this great start where they actually look like a good team. The defense looks quality. They look like they actually want to play some offense, and they've won big games, including beating Tennessee at home, winning a couple of SEC road games, including the Arkansas game, and then winning against UCLA early in the season. They actually have played football, and that's great. My number eight team is actually a team that moved up one spot after losing, and that's the Wisconsin Badgers at four and two. Listen, I know how it goes. If you lose in college football, you're supposed to move down. But when you lose to two teams that are clearly better than you, by a narrow margin, losing by seven at Michigan and barely losing to Ohio State, who had to come back at home, who wants to play Wisconsin? Wisconsin proved to me what I was saying to myself and to you all, but just let the mystique of Ohio State get to me, that no one wants to play them. They're doing work right now. And getting the job done. My number nine and ten teams will shock you. You will say that I am off my rocker. But I do have a defense of why I have those teams there. My number nine team is the LSU Tigers. What? They're nationally ranked number 25. You're just being a homer. I'll say it first and foremost. I am a fan of LSU. So as a fan of LSU, you must understand that I may have a bias. But more than my bias for LSU is my love of football. And you can take that to the bank. Because at the end of the day, LSU football does not love me. The sport of football cares more about me than LSU does. So I care in turn more about the, 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 the world of football and the sport of football than I do about any team. The reason I'm putting LSU here at number nine is the following. They lost pretty much a road game to start the season with an inept quarterback play and what I can only deem as conservative because I don't want to call it what I want to say, whatever, pathetic coaching by two to Wisconsin. And we've seen how good Wisconsin is. They lost a game that they almost won, but because of poor clock management and honestly just poor coaching You should have those young men set before they even try to wind the clock. They should have been sitting out there waiting like, come on, referee. We got the playing and everything. They lost on the road in a tough environment to an underrated Auburn team. An Auburn team that has only lost to good opponents so far. And they lost that by five. The last couple of weeks, though the opponents haven't been the strongest, Southern Miss is a good team, and Missouri is an SEC team. They've blown both out, putting up 28 points in the third quarter alone to nothing against Southern Miss. See, the reason that they're ranked number nine is because 
not only have they had good losses, if that's such a thing, because we're giving credit to Wisconsin right now for good losses, right? But they've also had a change that seems to have made them a better team. So they're number nine in the country. If if I'm any coach in the country that's not named, let's say, the Nick Sabins of the world and even Urban Myers, uh, even Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, Washington, if I'm any other coach, I don't want to touch LSU right now. Period. They're in the same boat as Wisconsin. They can ruin your undefeated season. And my number 10 team, maybe I'm being a homer again, the Florida Gators. Here's why. Florida has looked impressive on defense virtually the whole season, except the second half of the Tennessee game. And I feel like I know what happened in the second half of the Tennessee game. Those guys thought themselves to be invincible and then got bitten by injury bug that happened because guys did go down in that game with little tweaks and little things, including having a backup quarterback who really honestly just he's he's not a good quarterback. So I feel like Florida has played good enough football to be given and granted a top 10 spot. And to be honest, go ahead and name teams that you think are better. And when you start naming them, take the record off. Take the record off because some of you will say teams like Baylor, which if you've watched Baylor this year, because I have, Baylor is not as good as Florida. Or Nebraska, because if you watch Nebraska this year, they would lose to Florida. Neutral site game, they'd lose. So don't give me record. Give me teams that play ball. And you know what? That's my top 10, but I'm going to give you a team that you should watch out for and that should be given more credit, but they don't have the right name. And that's Western Michigan. Let me tell you something about Western Michigan. They're 7-0, right? Cool. I just said record doesn't matter, but let me tell you how they're 7-0. Their last game, they beat Akron 41-0. At Akron. Okay, it doesn't sound like anything impressive. That's the same Akron team that Wisconsin beat at home 54-10, and I watched the game. It wasn't a 54-10 game at certain points. They forced turnovers, and then it was 30-0. Anyway, the games looked very similar. They're also 2-0 in the Big Ten. You're like, what? Well, they're 2-0 in the Big Ten with a 34-10 win over Illinois. Okay, and an opening week win 22-21 to over Northwestern. Now you say, okay, those aren't the cream of the crop in the Big Ten, but that's the same Northwestern team that won against Duke. We know what Duke just did to Louisville, 24-13. At Iowa, 38-31. That's a big enough name, right? Or how about we go with an even bigger name with a better head coach, right? At Michigan State, that Northwestern team won 54-40 recently. I'm just saying that Western Michigan's not getting enough credit just because of their name. I'm predicting right now, and I'm sticking to it, that they'll likely play in a New Year's Six game due to an undefeated 13-0 record in, in the MAC. Although they do have a pretty tough game uh, the weekend of, of Thanksgiving uh, against Toledo on uh, November 25th. And by the way, Javion Franklin in the backfield is a beast. Watch out for that kid. Uh, he's a good one. So you might ask yourself, I said something about record. Why aren't other undefeated teams from the Power 5 conferences in my top 10? Again, Nebraska, 6-0, and Baylor, 6-0. Nebraska looks like an incomplete team by my account. 
They seem to thrive off of the play of the backfield, but out underperform on the flanks. To be honest, they could and should have lost a few games this season that were gifted to them, uh, especially the Oregon game. You win by three, and Oregon went for two four times without converting. Good job, Oregon. Way to see you come through. Baylor isn't the same explosive unit that we've seen in the past over the last half decade. On defense, it's even worse as an epidemic of forgetting how to tackle sweeps across the Big 12, and they are not immune to it. Again, why is the Big 12 so bad at defense? Like, literally. Teams that are, are supposed to be good, are, they, they can't tackle. I, I'm so confused. And then the often asked question that I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way. Can Bama, this great powerhouse and juggernaut, beat the Browns? Hell No. Are you all stupid? Stop asking this dumbass question. Okay, maybe maybe they could beat the Jets or the 49ers. Alright. Maybe just the Jets. But, no. There's, n- there's never been any college football team that could beat an NFL team, even the 0-16 Detroit Lions. When the NFL had a joke when it wasn't full-time back in the s- 1976, those bucks, there might have been a college football team at that time that could have beaten them. But the likelihood's still low. They were picking guys about the street. These are trained professional athletes who, in most cases, no matter who they are, has been a star at the collegiate level. It doesn't mean that they were the best player on their team if they went to Alabama and they were just like a starter. Or they're from a Division II school where they were the Julio Jones of that. These guys are professionals. You're going to tell me that the median age of a team in the Browns, who's a young team, being 25 years old, where guys have been in the league for a while, wouldn't beat the crap out of 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, and even 20- and 21-year-olds, they would destroy Alabama. Cleveland would win. Honestly, they would call the game as if Alabama was playing Savannah State. It would be that atrocious to watch. So stop asking the stupid question of will any college football team that has existed since the NFL has become a full-time job could ever beat any bad NFL team. They would get destroyed to a point where I think they would literally have to call the game from the carnage on the field. Weird transition, but I'm going to talk about a guy who, in all honesty, will be a fantasy football fill-in next season. But you don't know his name and you need to pay more attention to him. That's Donnell Pumphrey. See, this is one of my associate Embry Hunt. One of the guys he put me on to and it's one of his favorite players in college football. He plays at San Diego State. and Yeah, they're undefeated. He's got 1,100 yards already. Yay, but he plays at San Diego State. It has nothing to do with that. It's not like he's just running around the edge because he's a little faster than people. This is a good running back who will get playtime in the NFL next year. And really do a good job. This is one of those guys. This is that Doug Martin type guy where he's got good vision, can catch the ball, can do things, and people just don't know their name because they don't go to Alabama or LSU or Texas. They go to Boise State or San Diego State. So pay attention to Donald Pumphrey. Go ahead and Google him. Do it. But, like I said, we're transition. I'm going to talk a little fantasy football because... I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little upset 
with one organization right now, and I'm wondering how they got away with this, but as I literally sat down and thought about it today, maybe they got away for the following reason, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm not a Dirk Cutter fan. It doesn't mean that I don't think he can coach. None of that. I just think Dirk Cutter... I, I just, I'm not a fan. I think he's a, a solid coach. I think he knows the game, but I'm not a fan at all. I think he has this level of arrogance that's not earned yet that he needs to put away because it's off-putting, to say the least. And that arrogance played into the following. See, Doug Martin is ruled out against the 49ers this week. That's all fine and good, right? Because sometimes things happen. Injuries flare up. You have a setback. This lying organization forgot to mention that this dude hurt himself prior to the Carolina Panthers game. But I think they used a loophole that I'm not even sure exists. See, the reason that he wasn't put on an injury report is because you need the injury report to report to the opposite team so that they're aware of who's playing. Well, they had a bye, so they didn't report a goddamn thing, hoping that maybe he would get healthier. See, that's my nice way of putting it. My mean way of putting it is they're they're a-holes. And they got away with one on anyone and everyone involved. And I'm mad because, again, in a fantasy football trade, I I traded because of the schedule that Doug Martin would have to face coming off bye week. So, yeah, I'm a little salty. I'll admit it because guess what? Unlike some of these dudes, including the organization, Dirk Cutter and the rest of those guys, I'm actually honest about this. So, yes, sorry, you fantasy football fans who got jobbed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But just remember what organization you're dealing with concerning things like this. Remember. Again, salty, but this just seems slimy to not report an injury that worsened earlier. So anyway, moving on to another running back. And this is why I had Pumphrey as a guy to talk about. LaShawn McCoy, he apparently has gotten hurt. I was wise enough to immediately pick up Mike Gillisley in a couple of leagues, but that's neither here nor there. There's the whole Willie Woney when ESPN, uh, Justina Anderson reported that he will likely miss this game and might miss multiple weeks. And then someone else reported that that's confusion. He's a a game time decision. Look, I'm going to say it like this. I'm going to go ahead and trust the person who has no stake in this. So I'm going to say that Cena Anderson, who I do not know, is right. Hamstrings are terrible. If it's on the same leg he had a hamstring injury with before, which I believe it is, that's even worse. He's an explosive running back. These injuries don't get well. See Doug Martin. The source that's being used that says, no, he's game time decision. They know how things go and they know that they don't want to kill their situation of winning this week because they know they have virtually no chance of winning next week and then they have a bye. They don't want to give the Dolphins any motivation or any clue to anything. So they're just going to float it out there that LeSean McCoy, LeSean McCoy is not playing. Period. So I just want to get that out of the way. And another running back that has 
Not been the same since he decided to not put the cheeseburgers down. That's Eddie Lacy. Now, people were like, oh, Eddie Lacy lost weight. Look, Eddie lost about 10 pounds off the 275 he was last year. Eddie Lacy still looks like a chunk mugger, and his legs can't put up with it. Injured his ankle, sprained ankle earlier this season, and then injured it again to where it requires surgery. I'm just making this up as far as my speculation. His body can't handle the fact that he's no longer 230 like he should be, and he's 265. Cheeseburger, Eddie needs to calm down. So he's been placed on IR because he's going to require surgery on his ankle. So what do you do now? Look, I'm going to give you some advice. And it's probably advice you've heard from everyone, but I really don't care. This is me putting it out there. If you're in a PPR league and you need a bi-week fill-in, you need someone for Doug Martin, pick up Ty Montgomery, place him at a wide receiver spot or a flex spot. He will, at worst, get 30 yards rushing. Doesn't sound like a munch, but he'll get a crap ton of targets since Aaron Rodgers can't throw the ball down the field. Probably get like seven or eight receptions. And... Might get a touchdown because of the underneath stuff. So that's 16 points right there in your PPR league. If you are not in PPR league, don't touch Ty Montgomery. That's the only solution if you're in a PPR league and need a one-week fill-in. Otherwise, you pick up Don Jackson. You ride him for as long as you can because no Packers running back will have any relevance with the current situation. They won't. They can't open up running holes. And if this, this guy was so good, he would have been getting carries over James Starks, who honestly should be demoted anyway. But that's who you pick up if you really want a, a running back from the from this organization. And no, Niall Davis is not a play anytime soon. Maybe in two weeks. So maybe you stash him if you can. But otherwise, just stay away from it. And then to f- finalize my fantasy football portion of the show, it's going to be Big Ben being out four to six weeks. What does that mean for A, B, Le'Veon Bell and the rest of the offense, not much. I mean, the value drops down to probably 75% worth, especially with Antonio Brown. I think he'll be fine. Think about it like this. He's supposed to be a dominant receiver, right? Dominant receivers who play from the slot and can be moved around operate fine. Landry Jones beforehand had no time to work with these guys, get in a groove, and he was a younger quarterback. One more year of seasoning. He's not terrible. He's not a starter that you want, but he's a serviceable backup, and that is fine. Le'Veon Bell is going to get more carries than normal, but think about it like this. He's also going to get the check down. All honesty, Le'Veon Bell's value gets higher with this situation. There's even more value. Now, the other receivers won't have as much value because there's not going to be a vertical stretch. And also, they're not going to trust the passing game to throw at a 70-30 clip like they've been doing. It'll be more 50-50 to even 40-60. But D'Angelo Williams now has some value because he'll get some burn. So if you're in a deep league, pick him up. So I'm going to move on to the NFL rankings. Give a quick view. My top five. I still have a tie at fifth that I had last week, and that's Seattle staying at fifth at four and one after a victory over the Falcons. The Denver Broncos going to four and two with two moving down two spots after a loss to San Diego. I think that Seattle is a good team, but they're still incomplete, and Russell Wilson's not the same guy right now. He's not healthy. He's just going out there and muscling it out and being a good general. 
and the defense is coming around to being the unit it usually is, but with Cam out, they're not the same unit either. Denver is still good on defense, except against the run. They need another five technique. They need to keep drafting those guys. Just draft as many five techniques as possible, uh, and even fours. Um, and on offense, last week was an atrocious excuse for offense. Whoever that substitute coach was for Gary Kubiak, I don't know what you were thinking, but apparently you let every receiver on that team get in your mind and Trevor Simeon say, we should throw the ball 50 times and only run 16. Oh, because that, that, that makes sense. Uh, so those are my number fives. My number four team is the only team on this list that lost and moved up because they deserved it. The Atlanta Falcons are the fourth best team in the NFL for me right now. Four and two, they're a complete squad. Offensive balance, they're... I mean, there's nothing you can do to really say that this offense can be shut down. You can contain them, but you can't shut them down. And defensively, they can play, they're built to play with a lead because they smack you and force you into pressure situations that you don't want to be in. My number three team is the Dallas Cowboys. Just a good unit. Dak Prescott was my number one quarterback for a reason. I said draft Ezekiel Elliott, number four pick. Football game plan had multiple people say that, myself and Emery. And it's just working out well for them. They're, they're a balanced team. Do not bring back Tony Romo. If you do that, you're saying that you want to be a loser. Because it's not that he's a loser. It's literally that it makes no sense to bring him back. Period. Number two team stays the same in New England Patriots. And number one is the Minnesota Vikings until they lose, which could possibly be this weekend. Good opportunity for them to lose on the road to Philly against a team that is very familiar with Sam Bradford. And Stephon Diggs might be out. This is a good matchup, being able to get interior pressure with guys like Fletcher Cox and even Brandon Graham coming from the edge against an offensive line that's played better, but they haven't faced this quality of a defensive line yet this season in a road contest. This will be an interesting one. I think Philly has a good chance to win this game. My bottom five teams. Never thought I'd be saying this about a Cam Newton-led team, but number 28, the 1-5 in five Carolina Panthers, just horrible. Horrible on defense. We got to start blaming. Yeah, Cam's to blame. But so is Luke Keekley and the rest of those boys because they have gotten no consistency from any level. Even the linebackers are playing mediocre football. The defensive line is below mediocre and the secondary is trash. But the secondary is also the lowest paid secondary in the league because everyone's a rookie. 2019, Chicago Bears at 1-5. The Bears gave away a game last week. They should have gotten that victory. That's why they're the Bears this year. Brian Hoyer is playing better. Do not go back to Jay Cutler even when he's healthy. Stick with Brian Hoyer because if you're going to lose, you might as well give everyone the opportunity to feel good about being there and not hate their lives. Number 30 team, Cleveland Browns staying pat. They're 0-6, but they're the best 0-6 team guys darn it that I've ever seen. Those guys play hard for Hugh Jackson, and they almost pulled off a victory last week and almost cost me in a survivor pool. Thank you, Hugh, for not pulling off the victory, but keep those boys playing. He, This is how you coach a team with no talent. They just need to compete, hopefully get a victory, but if you don't have the talent, you what, what, what do you do? You just have to compete. My 31st worst team, this is a toss-up, but I'm going with the New York Jets. I just think they have more talent than the number 32 team. But the quarterback's position is awful. There's a lot of terribleness going on in the secondary on defense. This is kind of pitiful. 
And the worst team in the NFL is the San Francisco 49ers, 32nd ranked, 1-5. I had an argument with a San Francisco 49ers fan where he told me, I'm an idiot. They went 5-11 under Tom Sula last year. What makes me think they'll go 3-11, uh, 3-13, sorry, 3-13 this upcoming season? I said, I've seen your roster. I see what you have to offer. I'm not impressed. I felt a little weird on opening night when they won 28 nothing, but I remember what happened last season against them what ended up being the best defense in the NFL. So I went, I'll just wait. And yeah, five weeks later, I waited enough. They're horrible. They're awful. They're pitiful. And Chip Kelly needs to go back to Oregon where he can be the Nick Saban of the West. So those are my bottom five teams in the NFL. Speaking of bottom five, these guys are likely to go on their rosters. These are my early top Prospects for 2017 NFL Draft. I'm going to give you my top 10. My number one player is right now Jabril Peppers out of Michigan, the athlete. Look, he just does everything. And in all honesty, if you want to give it to the best player in the country, he should be in the conversation for Heisman, period. They're going to end up giving it to Lamar Jackson if he keeps scoring or Jalen Hurts if Alabama goes undefeated and he keeps putting up numbers. The ridiculousness, but Jabril Peppers is the best player in the country. Number two is Miles Garrett. The rush in from uh, Texas A&M. Guy just gets it done, coming around the edge, defends well against the run. What do you want? What else do you want? My number three guy is Leonard Fournette out of LSU, the running back. He hasn't looked like Leonard Fournette this year. Maybe it's because he's had an injured ankle and tried to play through it. I still don't know if he should come back this particular week, but I think he's going to try it out. And if it's not good, Darius Geis is a good backup. Number four guy is Deshaun Watson, quarterback out of Clemson. He has not looked good this year. I'm still a proponent of keeping him away from designed runs. Don't think that it's helpful for any quarterback with an NFL future. So hopefully he makes it through the season. I think that a, a good quarterback coach, especially if he goes to, let's say, Cleveland with Hugh Jackson, will do wonders for Deshaun Watson. The number five guy is Raquan McMillan, inside linebacker out of Ohio State. The guy is heady, instinctive. He's Reggie Ragland with more physical ability. And then 6 through 10, I'm going to go ahead and get it over with. It's the Alabama front seven. Seriously, just pick one. Tim Tim Williams, Reuben Foster, Jonathan Allen. Just, just pick someone from Alabama. That's the rest of the top 10 because that's what they're doing right now. They're pumping out a factory of players because they're bringing in five-star and four-star talent. And unlike other programs who just rest on their laurels with these guys and let physical ability take over, they're coaching them to be NFL-ready guys. All of them are able to make checks in their head without having a guy call out the signals by the time they finish at Alabama. That's amazing because when they go to the next level, they are successful players, period. So those are my early uh, top prospects, and I don't think they're going to change much as I go through the season because those guys to me are just ballers, especially the top five. You know, there was a book that we wrote called Stiff Arming Myths, uh, 50 of the Greatest Fairy Tales in Football. And I stick by that book. I think it was an excellent book. Go pick it up. Footballgameplan.com backslash books. Brought up at least it's a good conversational piece. Okay. One of the things this the article I wrote and I used analytics matched with the eye test. And it was defense does not win championships. 
Now everyone's like, pump the brakes. I wrote this in 2013 slash 14. At that point in time, the Super Bowl winners, which is what I use as a metric, all of them were in the top 16 in offense, and I think five of or three of the, them were in the top five. Only one of them was in the top 16 in defense. And that was the Seattle Seahawks. Everyone else, people forget, Baltimore Ravens had their worst defensive unit in years because everyone was aged out. They were 17th. You know, you had New England was awful on defense. The Giants were awful on defense. Everyone was awful on defense. So I was able to statistically prove that defense didn't win championships, including the rules changes. Here's what happens, though. And it's a naturally, uh, it's, it's like osmosis. It's a natural ebb and flow to everything. Things will level out if you allow them to. No matter how much you want to make things force themselves, once you make the force happen, the leveling out will happen. Here's why. The NFL changed rules in favor of the offense, which made certain positions, namely the quarterback position, weaker. You didn't need to be a good quarterback, theoretically, simply because you could throw the ball up, get a pass interference. Guys were open off the line because you couldn't touch them after the fact. And, 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 and so they had separation. So you didn't have to throw in as many gaps. Well, pressure has increased, causing smaller windows, even though the guys are more open. Therefore, you need more accuracy. And let's say you do have time. Secondaries are getting beefier because instead of having to blitz all the time, people were able to rush three or four and get pressure, leaving guys to cover more readily. The other thing, quarterbacks aren't being coached in college. They are not reading defenses. The number one overall pick didn't play not because of his physical issues or because he got beat up by a veteran. He couldn't call plays or go through progressions because he never did in college. That is effing pitiful. So, yeah, quarterbacks aren't being coached in college. So defenses. Defense is being coached in college. Rushing the passer is being coached in college because offensive line traits aren't being coached either, especially for your tackles and guards. Those aren't being coached unless you're at Wisconsin. Try to keep producing great linemen. Or Notre Dame. But the guys from AM, don't touch them with a 10 foot pole. Every offensive tackle to come out of AM either moves to guard because they can't play, which is stupid in its own right, or they can't play for like three years. Luke Jokel is just starting to become a decent offensive tackle, and he's been in the league. This is his third or fourth year. And complex coverages and complex cover- coverage combos are being taught in college. So these guys are coming in. Not just playing man concepts. They're understanding how to play uh, different sky techniques, uh, the cover sixes and things like that, where there's a lot of different variability to what they're doing. And they have to be more heady and make more decisions instead of just playing man coverage, where it's pretty much just athleticism on athleticism. And this actually plays into what's wrong with my next player, A.A. Ron, Mr. Rogers. I don't think there's as much wrong with Aaron Rodgers as far as being an NFL quarterback is concerned, as it is what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers being compared to Aaron Rodgers of the past. See, he's still a good NFL quarterback, but he's not elite right now. 
he's still in the top 10 mm-hmm. 100% like you can't go on record and name me a quarterback that's doing better than Aaron Rodgers uh, name me 10 quarterbacks that's doing better than Aaron Rodgers it's hard pressed to name me 7 or 5 now 5 is getting up there but he's in the top 7 right now period the thing is there's been closed downs in how things are being treated Aaron Rodgers is having tighter windows to throw into. Even though the line is blocking Aaron Rodgers looking for the big play, he's actually Andrew Lucking this season, looking for the big play instead of taking checkdowns. Aaron Rodgers might just need to, to change his fate, turn to Tom Brady, and it'll change things for him. And then teams will press up, and guess what? Having the biggest arm in the league, pretty much, will come into play. But right now, Aaron Rodgers trying to make big plays happen, and he's a split second too late. And then he's getting sacked after being back there for five seconds. Because it's not the old offensive line. They're not playing poorly. They just can't run block. But they can pass block. So, at the end of the day, is anything wrong with Aaron Rodgers? No. But he does need to slightly change one thing. Get rid of the ball quickly. Quick check downs. I think that will help Aaron Rodgers get back on track. So, my closing thoughts for this week. Closing thoughts are the following. I don't think it's as hard as certain guys make it out. Remember, I have a quote as football is a simple game played, coached, and managed by complex men and women for that matter. And some guys seem to make it hard. Why would you continuously bring in and hire and latch on to guys who have proven to not get the job done? Because you want to make it hard on yourself. We're going to see how I'll predict it right now. If they let Dak Prescott play quarterback for the rest of the year, the Dallas Cowboys will play in the NFC Championship. And they'll likely lose to either Seattle or Minnesota. But they will play in it. Because I think that they're going to get the second seed. And the other one of those two will get the first seed. If they let Tony Romo come back. I think they still win the division. But I hate saying that I think Tony Romo gets hurt and Dak won't be able to find that magic. See, it's easier to go from Dak if something happens or he's not playing well to Tony than it is to go from Tony back to Dak. I think it just loses things. I think the locker room, there's a lot of situations playing into it. So if Dallas Cowboys want to be winners, they got to keep playing with Dak. And you're seeing it right now. Guys who are too stubborn are making bad decisions. Jerry Jones, I'm talking about, talking about bringing back a guy like Tony Romo. This goes into hirings and everything. At the end of the day, as a fan, you just have to write letters, hope, pray, whatever you want to do, that your team stops making these detrimental decisions that you can tell before they even happen are awful. Because football is a simple game. Unfortunately, it's played by very played, coached, and managed by very complex people who have complex agendas. So, remember, you can hit me up on Twitter, at CJFlorida9. Always hit me up uh, on Twitter. You can also Facebook... Hit us up on the football game plan uh, channel. 
on the football game plan page, any of that stuff. Folks, we like getting feedback. We like the conversation, things like that. Questions, anything. I will have my five and five show. By the way, I throw myself under the bus whenever it's necessary. I was horrible last week. I was one and four against the spread. Horrible. The worst I'd done before that was two and two, two and one. And other than that, I had a winning record three and two or four and one every other week in the other five weeks. So I'll have that out and hopefully things go a little better. Uh, but for the football game plan radio network, it's Chris James signing off. Enjoy your football week. Remember, it's not here for too much longer, folks. Just a couple of more months. Then we have more than a half a year in total darkness to see in these games. Take care.